Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Mondays with Mai, your new go-to mental health, wellness, and lifestyle podcast. I'm your host, Maya. On this podcast, we talk about topics including, but definitely not limited to, different mental health disorders, boundaries, the self-care industry, and popular wellness and lifestyle trends circling the internet. So, if you're looking for a podcast that hits on all of these topics and so much more, then congratulations, you found it. I hope you enjoy this episode and that you're taking care of you, whatever that may look like. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Mondays with Mai, your favorite mental health, wellness, and lifestyle podcast. My name is Maya and I am your host. And if you're a new listener, Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoy this episode and that you'll stick around. And if you're a returning listener, thank you for continuing to support me. I really appreciate it. So before we get into this week's episode, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping, which is essentially doing a not-so-shameless, shameless plug for myself. I have realized that I've not been doing the best job at marketing myself or this podcast and really putting it out there. I know in the very first episode I talked a little bit about how I've always wanted to start a podcast, but I've just been so nervous about it for so many reasons, mainly just the sense of imposter syndrome, and I think that has been influencing how little or how much I have been marketing it because while I am excited to finally be on this journey and to be putting my thoughts and feelings out there and talking about these important but also fun topics, I also am still a little bit nervous about how it will be received and that has translated to me not really marketing myself to the extent that I could or should. So I'm trying to change that. I'm trying to get over that unnecessary anxiety around it because it really is unnecessary. I mean, of course, not everyone who listens is going to love it, but that's just a part of life. For all the podcasts and music and whatever other media and content is out there, there's always going to be people that that don't like it and it's fine. And I shouldn't let the opinions of someone I don't even know or even someone I do know (laughs) influence how I navigate doing the things that I've always wanted to do. So, with that said, I am going to be posting more online, but I would also seriously so appreciate it if everyone listening could just go ahead and share the podcast with family and friends, post it on your Instagram story or your Facebook page if you're still on Facebook. Also, be sure to follow the podcast and give it a rating on Spotify. I'm not sure if you can do a review, but I do know that you can do a rating, one through five stars. Don't do anything less than five stars. (laughs) Yeah, uh, following the show, rating the show, sharing it with your circles would be really appreciated and it would really help the show grow and help me to continue creating content. Also, I am working on getting the show up on Apple Podcasts. It's been taking a while. For the longest time, it just like wasn't acknowledging that my RSS feed was a real link, <laughs> even though it's the link that I was given directly from Spotify, 
when creating this podcast, but I finally was able to submit it. So it's just under review, but fingers crossed it'll be up on Apple Podcasts in the next week or so, which I'm sure will make it more accessible. But yeah, please like, rate, follow, share the show. I truly, truly, truly would appreciate it. With that, I also want to give a little bit of a life update and I have a few life updates. So the first one, the biggest one, is that I have officially decided that I am going to move out of DC in the new year, which is nerve-wracking and overwhelming and bittersweet, but it is exciting. Really the rationale behind it is I'm just ready for something new, ready for something different. I've been in DC for almost five years. It'll be five years in November. And that's most of my 20s. I moved here when I was 22. I'm now 27. And I feel like I've really grown here. I've had a lot of experiences, a lot of time to learn and grow and reflect and build like a life that I want, build really strong relationships. I've made some beautiful friendships, people that I'll be friends with for the rest of my life, honestly. I also have developed a really good relationship with my sister that lives in the area. We, we've never really had like a bad relationship, but just, you know, your typical sister relationship where it ebbs and flows. But lately, I feel like it's gotten so strong that like she truly is my best friend. And I'd like to think that I'm hers too. I've decided that I'm hers too. <laughs> I've also like learned about myself in terms of how I am in relationships and the things that I want to work on, the things that I will or won't accept. I've also grown in my career, grown in terms of like how I view and experience the world. I've started so many new things. I've tried new things and maybe they didn't work out, but I tried it and that's also an accomplishment in and of itself but ultimately I feel like I have gotten all that I have needed to out of DC I think I'm just I don't know I just feel like I've outgrown the city a little bit I was talking to a friend about this the other day actually I feel like I'm in that between phase of life where DC just like isn't where I need to be right now like I'm no longer in my early to mid 20s where going out and drinking and partying and hookup culture and like all of that is what I'm into so like the times that I do go out I just feel so out of place because it's like I'm surrounded by people who are like five years younger than me and it's like kind of weird but I'm also not in the married 10-15 years into your career somehow affording a row home here and having kids like and I just feel like a lot of the population of DC is either or it's like young people who moved here fresh out of college for you know jobs in the kind of like NGO government sphere or people who have been here for so long whether they're DC natives or whether they have just moved here a long time ago and are settling down and I'm just kind of like in the in-between and I don't know, I just feel like I'm ready for something new. Also, it's just such an expensive city and it's really not financially sustainable if you don't have a dual income or a multi-income household, which I don't. I would love to have that, <laughs> but that's just not my reality right now. 
And so it's just really expensive. Like studio apartments are approaching like $2,000. Some are even over $2,000 already for like 400 square feet. And that's just not what I want to put my money towards. Like I know that I could get more space in a different place for the same amount or less money than I pay now for a one bedroom. And I do think like for the years that I've been here, that's been fine. The space that I've had has been fine, but I definitely am outgrowing my little one bedroom and I just don't want to pay this much money for this little space. And then also the crime. I mean, there's crime in every city, right? But I just feel so on edge and I've realized that I haven't been going outside lately and doing all the things that I've been wanting to do over the summer. Like my summer was kind of boring. I definitely had good times and fun experiences with friends, but it was just, I didn't do as much as I would have liked because I have just felt so on edge going outside with all of the different like shootings and carjackings and muggings and stuff happening at like all hours of the day. And I do know that that's kind of unfortunately part of the deal when you live in a U.S. city, but I'm over it. (laughs) And I also would like to be closer to other family. I'd like to be closer to nature, just have more space so I can get a dog, have an actual like garden outside and things like that. So um, I have time to figure it out. Like, well, I know where I'm going, but I have time to figure out like the logistics of like when to move and all of that because my lease isn't up until mid-February. So I'm probably gonna move in early February but it still is like a little bit overwhelming to think about because I just kind of feel like moving such a big process even moving like within the city like when I moved from my old neighborhood in DC to the neighborhood I'm in now that was even just like stressful figuring out like getting a U-Haul and hiring people to help me move and picking up keys and whatnot so I know moving like several states away it's going to be even more overwhelming but I have time to work out those logistics um I also think what has been making me kind of nervous about it is just I've been too in my head I've been feeling like oh I'm going to be leaving a lot behind like all of my friends the friendships that I've made here that have been really strong and my sister like I said we have really built a strong relationship over the past five years I'm going to be leaving behind the cuisine. (laughs) DC has a really good cuisine because there's such a large and diverse immigrant population that there's so many different like cuisines to try out which I love and also it's just like almost like I'm closing this chapter of my life of where I really stepped into my adulthood and start to figure some stuff out but I had to like check myself and realize it's really not that serious i am still going to be friends with the friends i've made here i mean of course it's not going to be as simple as it is now where you know like i can just shoot someone a text and be like hey what are you up to or we can just plan like an impromptu hangout or something like that but that doesn't mean we're not going to be friends and i know that i can always make new friends even if it does take a little bit of time so I'm not like necessarily leaving stuff behind I just am adding more to my life I'm trying to reframe it in that way to help kind of ease that overwhelm 
Yeah, I'm, I am looking forward to it though. A couple of other life updates. I am working on my art, which is so exciting. I have been really leaning in to my creative career-ish. I'm trying to build out my creative career because art has always been like my passion for as long as I can remember. I've always wanted to be an artist and I am also starting to get more confident in that area where I feel like I can make, I create beautiful art and I know that, but it's, again, it's been like nerve wracking to kind of market myself in that aspect. So I'm working on that. I am working on a collection. I think I mentioned this in a different episode maybe, um, but I'm working on a collection. So I need to just figure out the logistics of getting that in some sort of exhibit or pop-up gallery or something like that, because that's something that I would love to do. I think before I leave DC, ideally just to kind of like really close out this chapter, but also I'm open to doing that anywhere, you know, I just want to share my art with people. Um, so I'm working on that collection, which is exciting. I also just started a new painting and it's huge. It's the biggest painting I've ever done aside from the set design work that I did in high school. So when I was in high school, I was a set designer and I designed and painted, like hand painted all of the backdrops that we used for like, different shows and musicals and then I also did different murals like around the school and around the city of Pittsburgh which I love like that kind of like large-scale mural work but there's something about doing a really detailed canvas that just it's just a different kind of challenge and this one's huge it's like half my size it comes up past my belly button and it's wide too it's like I think 28 by 36 inches or something like that so it's a pretty big canvas and the design that I'm doing is going to be really detailed so it is definitely going to take me a couple months to do that but when that's done I'm going to try to sell it I'm going to try not to get too emotionally attached to it because that's a problem I have with my art I go into it thinking like okay I'm going to list this on Etsy or whatever and then when I'm done I'm like oh but I love it I want to keep it for myself so I'm not going to do that with this one, putting it out there in the world that I'm going to sell this painting. And then the final one is just, we've hit three months of the podcast, which I know isn't a typical milestone, but is a milestone that I'm excited about just because, like I said, this is something I've been wanting to do for a long time and I've been holding myself back. And when I finally took that leap in June, I wasn't sure if... I would keep going and how I would keep going what I would talk about <laughs> and I mean it's not a lot of episodes this is episode 9 not including the trailer but because I'm doing them bi-weekly it adds up to three months so three months of my time three months of my effort that I've been putting into this three months of you all listening and supporting me and it's really exciting and just makes me excited to reach the next milestone of just going to transition into the episode the topic for this week's episode is going to be the body body positivity body neutrality 
body image, body dysmorphia, how media and different aspects of society and culture influence how we view our own bodies and others' bodies, and just really getting into all of that, breaking down the myths and stigmas and stereotypes and things like that. I am going to follow my kind of typical format where I share my thoughts mixed in with the different articles that I have found and that I'm going to be breaking down. I really do like researching things and reading and learning about things, so that's what I'm doing here. I found some pretty interesting articles that I enjoyed reading or took some important points away from, and so I'm going to be sharing those as well as my thoughts on what's in the articles, and then also talk a little bit about my experience with body image and how I am today as well. So what got me into this episode actually is if you follow me over on Instagram at Mondays with my I posted some pictures of no I don't want to call it like a body transformation because it really wasn't that it was just kind of like reflecting on what I look like now and what I looked like a year ago so I posted a picture a side-by-side of me in September 2022 and me now in September 2023 and I just so happened to be wearing the same outfit. Like, I didn't plan that, but I, I realized I'm wearing the same exact outfit as I am in this picture in my photo album titled Fitness Journey. And so I looked at them, and I put them side by side, and I just started reflecting on the differences in my body. I weigh more, about 20 pounds more than I did in the September 2022 picture, and I have more rolls and cellulite and stretch marks and things like that. And at first glance, I was like, oh gosh, like, I really have changed over the past year, and I had to check myself and, you know, just kind of tell myself, like, it doesn't matter, I mean, I'm getting older, I'm repairing my relationship with food, I'm thinking less about what I eat in terms of what if this makes me gain weight, or what if this has too many carbs or calories or whatever, like, that's not the thing that I'm focusing on when it comes to eating. I'm focusing more on how I feel and the experience that comes with it. I'm having fun with friends. I'm moving my body in a way that feels right and healthy. So of course it's going to change. Like the way I look is going to change. And then also like I've been having some health things that I'm kind of navigating and that influences how your body looks. So there's just so many factors to think about and it's not necessarily like like it's not a bad thing there's nothing wrong with your body changing over time because that's just a part of life and that's a part of aging too I used to have this habit and to be completely transparent sometimes I still do this but looking back at back at pictures of myself from college and high school and I was so much smaller and just looked so different but that's also because I was younger but sometimes I would look at those pictures and be like oh man if only I could be a size two or four again or like I used to have a flat stomach and again I had to check myself and be like okay well I was a literal teenager in those pictures maybe like 20 21 years old but like that was a whole six plus years ago and I also had a terrible relationship with food in my body I exercised for hours on end to 
punish myself or because I was like I need to look a certain way so let me eat less than a thousand calories today and then go to the gym for like three hours and so sure maybe at that time my body was was more aligned with like the beauty standards of like the slimmer the better you know like that kind of toxic mindset but I was also unhealthy physically and mentally and emotionally because I wasn't getting all the nutrients that I needed. I was overworking myself physically and I was so hyper fixated and focused on how I looked and whether or not I ate the right things. And even if other people were like, oh, you look good or anything like that, I didn't feel good. I wasn't healthy. And that was that's not something that I should strive for so yeah looking at those pictures just really kind of like got me in this whole rabbit hole of my experience with my body over the years also it got me thinking on how that's not my experience alone so many people I know and then people I don't know like have the same a similar experience where like you're told that how much you weigh or how thin you are all of that is what matters and I think that's bullshit so I just wanted to talk about that today in today's episode and start to unlearn all of that or continue to unlearn all of that for myself but also hopefully pushing or supporting others in unlearning all of that Okay, so let's dive into the articles that I have lined up for today. We'll see if we get through them all. As you can probably tell, I have the hiccups. And because I am recording last minute, that means that the hiccupy version is what you're going to get. So I apologize in advance. I did try relaxing my diaphragm, drinking water, holding my breath, all of that, and it has yet to work but hopefully you can understand everything I'm saying and hopefully they go away partway through the episode. I have six articles. I probably won't read all of them and there probably is going to be some overlap between them, but also some differences. So I am excited to see what different people are saying about the same topic. So the first article is published in Psychology Today by Dr. Renee England and it was published in March 2019. It's titled What We're Getting Wrong About Positive Body Image. Research findings debunk common myths about body positivity. It seems like everyone is talking about body positivity these days. There are nearly 9 million posts on Instagram with the body positive hashtag. A Google search for body positivity leads to over 4 million results and Analyses by Google Trends reveal a distinct uptick in the popularity of the topic over the past five years. A wide range of celebrities have joined the chorus of voices advocating for positive body image. Jamila Jamil, Heidi Bryant, Laverne Cox, Demi Lovato, Lord, and Adele, just to name a few. Likewise, social media platforms overflow with posts exhorting women, and sometimes men, to love their bodies no matter what they look like. 
Researchers have begun examining positive body image in earnest with several hundred published studies in the past few years. While there's no single official definition of what it means to have a positive body image, most researchers agree that it involves viewing your body with compassion and acceptance, focusing on gratitude for what your body does instead of fixating on how it looks, and endorsing broad, inclusive beauty ideals. But for all the talk, there's a lot we get seriously wrong about the concept. Recent findings can help us tackle some of the popular myths about positive body image. So right off the bat, I do disagree with this definition a little bit. I personally feel like what they described is more so body neutrality. To me, body neutrality is that sense of accepting your body for what it is, being neither here nor there, not disliking or hating your body for the way it looks, not necessarily loving it and loving all of the pieces of it, whether that is cellulite or stretch marks or or scars. It's not fixating on the outward appearance but more so how you feel and all of the things that you're able to do because of your body and body positivity i interpret that more as i love my body i love my tiger stripes my body is beautiful my body is sexy my body is desirable you know that really positive and affirming language surrounding your body so i do think it's interesting that they are described being what is body neutrality but then labeling it body positivity however because this was published in 2019 and they're looking at the past five years so 2014 through 2019 i do feel like body neutrality wasn't really a part of the conversation at that time i feel like it was more so body positivity or body negativity and that kind of middle ground of body neutrality wasn't as big of a topic I feel like in 2019 so let's move on to the myths that they try to debunk oh my gosh these hiccups trying to talk while having the hiccups is quite painful but I'm doing this for you guys so myth one if you don't actively hate your body that means your body positive It's not so simple. While it might seem confusing, a positive body image isn't just the opposite of body negativity. The two concepts are more independent than you may guess. Not hating your body is no guarantee that you appreciate it or care for it. A positive body image means more than letting go of negative attitudes. It requires actively nurturing a gentle, accepting approach to your body. That leads directly to myth two. Having a positive body image means you love every single thing about how your body looks every day. First, having a positive body image means you're not overly concerned with how your body looks. Instead, you likely engage in enjoyable self-care related to the body. You think of your body more broadly. You conceptualize it in terms of how it functions and how it allows you to feel pleasure and experience different types of connection with other people in the world around you. It means that when you do experience negative emotions related to your body, you respond with compassion and understanding, knowing that everyone feels that way sometimes. People who are body positive can feel dissatisfied with their body on occasion without letting that dissatisfaction derail them from other life goals and focus on accepting the wide diversity of human appearance. Again, I feel like they're just describing body neutrality. Myth three, it gets harder to have a positive body image as you age. 
It's no surprise that people assume people's body image gets worse with age, especially for women. How could it not when we're bombarded with anti-aging advertisements and immersed in a culture that glorifies youth? (laughs) Oh my god, that one was so loud. I'm so sorry. Studies of women, however, have found that positive body image actually increases with age. This is likely because life experiences can teach you to appreciate and respect your body for what it does and what it's been through, even if it doesn't look like the kind of body admired in popular culture. This myth is interesting but not surprising. I wholeheartedly agree with this, even just thinking from my own experience. As I talked a little bit in the intro, as I've gotten older, I've come to terms with the fact that my body is just going to change, that's inevitable, and how it changes does correlate a lot with age, but that also correlates with life experiences. Like I said before, I'm less focused on what I look like and more focused on how I feel and making memories. For example, when hanging out with friends, sometimes we go out to eat, sometimes we cook, host dinner parties, and I'm focused on the experience because I know that as I get older, I want to have these fond and fun memories to look back on. Whereas when I was younger in my late teens and actually throughout all of my teens and in my early 20s, I was more focused on how I looked. So I wasn't having those fun experiences. I wasn't thinking of like going out to eat as a social activity. I was thinking of it as like a challenge or a chore or something that I need to like overcome. And a part of that is definitely associated with my mental health. But also I think getting older and realizing that life is short and you don't know how much time you have left. So it's important to fill it with memories and experiences. I think that has also shifted that mindset. I also think in general, as you get older, and you have more life experiences, you're less impressionable and less susceptible to be pressured or influenced by different narratives and images and things that you're seeing like on social media and movies in TV shows where the love interest is always someone that's slim or toned or muscular and you know magazine covers telling you all about how so-and-so lost the baby weight and back bounce culture bounce back culture yeah bounce back culture bbl culture like all of that i feel like you feel less pressured by that i do think however there is a difference today versus 10 15 years ago 10 15 years ago social media was more so it just wasn't the same like you weren't bombarded with people peddling fit tummy tea and weight loss supplements and gummies and things like that and you weren't seeing all of these what i eat in a day to lose 15 pound kind of like videos and things it was more so at least like for me and my friends i think about the way i was using social media 10 years ago i had an instagram but i wasn't trying to post like cute selfies and stuff my friends and i used to go to the apple store and take you know all of those kind of fun cringy trends from the 2010s and now it's just very different you see a lot more people of all ages just really pushing this certain body image or this certain beauty standard think about the kardashians and how they got all their bbls and all of that done and then all of these people are trying to copy it and now that they're getting it dissolved people are trying to copy that and it's like if you want to make those changes to your body 
for you because of your mental health and stuff go ahead do that like i'm not here to say it's right or wrong but i do think it's worth examining how social media and these beauty standards that are perpetuated by people who you don't know who are able to more easily change the way they look in either direction because of the money and access that they have and just like thinking about am i making these changes for me to help with my mental and physical health or am I making these changes to match what I'm seeing on the internet? And just kind of tying it back to the myth of age correlating with changes in body image. I think, yes, back in the day there were different ads or infomercials and things like that that you would see kind of pushing supplements, weight loss, and hairlessness on women in particular. But I feel like it was less rampant and less in your face as it is now with social media. So I agree with this point that as you get older, you're less susceptible to those pressures. But I do think it might be harder to ignore those pressures in today's society when everywhere you look there's some new product or some new person that is telling you that you need to change the way you look. Oh my god, my hiccups went away. I don't want to jinx it. Okay, myth four. Getting lots of compliments on your appearance will give you a positive body image. This sounds logical, but research has demonstrated that being on the receiving end of appearance-related compliments does not improve body image. In fact, it can make it worse. So think twice before imagining that harvesting compliments on Instagram for a sexy selfie will help you love and appreciate your body more. It doesn't work that way and can often backfire. I also agree with this one. I feel like we've all heard people talk about times when maybe they weren't having such a good experience or relationship with their body. Maybe they were trying to shrink themselves physically and really struggling internally, but externally people were like, wow, you look so good or oh my gosh, you lost weight. How'd you do it? what's your secret i follow a lot of moms on instagram and i'll look and see so there will be so many comments like there's no way you had a baby how did you just give birth three months ago oh my god i can't believe you're fitting into those jeans this soon postpartum and just all of these completely unnecessary and sometimes harmful comments that even if people think they are making these comments from a good place or it's a compliment it's really not because what you are inadvertently telling people is that when their body looked different when it looked bigger it wasn't as valuable or desirable they weren't as beautiful or worthy and when they got smaller when they got more toned that meant that they are somehow better in a sense and so it starts to attach that morality to how your body looks think about comments of plus size models or other people in bigger bodies on the internet where people just automatically assume everything about this person they assume like oh you don't care about your health you clearly are lazy or like you're setting a bad example for people on the internet for your kids or with women oh it makes me so mad i hear it all the time like you've let yourself go and it's just in either case, just like making comments about people's body is uncalled for, but when you make those comments that people may assume on the surface are positive, what you're doing is creating this space where it's okay to associate thinness with health and with higher morals and therefore associate fatness with being unhealthy and having poor morals, and that's really not the case.
health is so subjective from person to person. One is thin, that doesn't necessarily and fat doesn't all fee. And whether or not you it makes them those things that they don't need to be focusing on. Like how we look and how we're shaped is not the most important thing about us. And so commenting that is just especially on younger people who are very impressionable, who are still kind of like finding themselves how they look in order to have more value is if you have a positive body image you won't be motivated to take care of your body a recent journal article suggested that feeling body is a receipt is a recipe for pain. unfortunately there are many people who assume that you have to feel shame about your body in order to make healthy choices this perspective is mis misguided and out of line with scientific findings. In fact, people who appreciate and feel more gratitude towards their body are more likely to take good care of it. A recent review of research found that women with body image are more likely to practice intuitive eating, use sun protection, conduct regular breast self-exams, and engage in vigorous exercise no matter what size their body is. And this one I think is a really important to discuss and debunk because... I feel like what that journal article that they cited is getting at, the one that suggests that the better you feel about your body, the less you're going to take care of it. Like, that's a very intense. Because when you think about it, it actually just sense. You would think that the someone loves or appreciates or cares for their body, the more they're going to take care of it. When I healthy, you take care of it I want to eat into my body in a way that is good feel energized and whatnot because I want to maintain that feeling of health I want to keep my energy and down my stress levels but when poor body image I feel like very easy to get in the mindset of like I'm not gonna get results anyway you take it too far and overwork yourself and territory very quickly but I feel like that article they're intentionally saying that because I feel like it's trying to push people back into the grasp of diet culture you know like to be a little bit ashamed how you look and comfortable because if you do get too comfortable or rid of that shame then you're not because you're just going to gain the weight back it's like trying to tell people that you should always be a little bit ashamed, feel a little bit guilty about how you look for the purpose of pushing. Like, feel really healthy and happy, and you're, then you're less likely to go buy all those like weight loss supplements or waist trainers like that. So it's like trying to break down that self-esteem ever so slightly to where it's like, go buy a feel better about yourself and to you it's like this false sense of like empowery but when you look tr they're trying to shame and guilt so that you will try diet culture and beauty standards and send on these different elements and I don't okay so this second article is also from psychology today and it was published in July 2023 by Dr. Pernil Boulot. 
It's titled, I had cosmetic surgery to appease my body dysmorphia. One person struggle with body dysmorphia. At the top, it lists four key points that are body dysmorphia causes so much shame that people often avoid talking about it, even with their therapist. Choosing cosmetic surgery is a difficult decision. Infiltrate it with a mix of shame and hope. In the end, cosmetic surgery is more about improving one's confidence than one's look. And recovering from body dysmorphia lets someone start living their life. So this is kind of a longer one and it's more so narrative based it's someone's experience with body dysmorphia and cosmetic surgery but i do just want to read a little bit of it because i think it is going to be valuable so it starts from research studies we know that body dysmorphic disorder or bdd is a serious biological disease that manifests in debilitating thoughts and behaviors in many ways body dysmorphia resembles a mix of obsessive compulsive disorder anxiety and in some cases even psychosis most people with bdd struggle with shame about minor or invisible features on their body and it often leads them to avoid social situations while there are evidence-based therapies for BDD, many people don't receive treatment and some even resort to cosmetic surgery. For people who have not experienced BDD, it can be difficult to comprehend why someone would go so far as to get surgery to correct an imperfection no one else sees. For this post, I interview Lo, a 29-year-old woman in Germany, first one month before and then seven weeks after cosmetic surgery she chose to get to address her BDD. Looking back, she does not regret it. So it starts off just sharing, you know, what motivated her to proceed with surgery. And she says that her nose is really what sparked it. Her nose grew to adult size at somewhat of a young age. And it just, she just felt uncomfortable with that. And that's where her body dysmorphia started. She says, she has always hated her nose and while she comes from a lineage of large noses hers always stood out as different breaking her nose later in life caused a slightly deviated septum which further aggravated her bdd concerning her nose she felt that it was too large too crooked too deviated and although others didn't feel that her something was wrong with her nose she did and ultimately started changing her life based around that you know like not taking pictures not going out as much not looking in the mirror and eventually decided to get cosmetic surgery so there are a few things in this paragraph that i just summarized that i want to focus on which are that even though other people could not see these imperfections she still felt ashamed of it and that is something that is just so true for so many people even if others are telling you you look so beautiful or there's nothing wrong with you or even if they don't say absolutely anything about how you look if you truly have that belief like seared in your brain then unfortunately other people affirming you isn't really going to do much if you have like a deep and long-standing negative self-image. It can definitely help to be affirmed, but unfortunately a few compliments aren't going to erase how you feel about yourself, especially if it's been something that you've been feeling and thinking for years on end. The other thing that 
I wanted to focus on was, actually I don't think I read this section, but it says, despite being in therapy, Lo never mentioned her obsession and shame with her nose. In fact, she never really thought anything was wrong with her mental health. Somehow she separated her mental health from her nose obsession. And I think that is really interesting because I do think a lot of the times people kind of separate the two when it comes to body dysmorphia. I know for myself, when I was really struggling with that, I also felt a lot of the times like, oh no, it's not because I am experiencing depression or I'm having these ruminating intrusive thoughts or anything like that. It's just because I genuinely am overweight or my body actually does need to be fixed. And I think that kind of separation, it honestly, it almost like allows you to continue with those negative thought patterns and thought processes because it's easier to accept it as truth and falsely believe that like that's just an objective fact that your body needs to be fixed versus maybe I have some deeper mental and emotional wounds or things that need to be addressed. Maybe I need to work on my self-esteem because that's a much harder and longer journey and requires a lot of self-reflection and confronting different beliefs about yourself and just about the world. Like for myself, hunting fat phobia and confronting how much I was buying into beauty standards and how I maybe was perpetuating those negative beauty standards acknowledging the emotional and mental health aspect of it really requires you to question yourself and why you believe what you believe and why you do what you do and say the things you do and how that has contributed to getting you to where you are in terms of how you think about your own body whereas if you just kind of look at it try to look at it objectively of like something's just wrong with my body and it needs to be fixed then it's almost like a lot easier mentally to reconcile with that like oh I'll just go get this surgery and then I'll be done versus I need to go to therapy for potentially years or things like that um other part of this section that I thought was really interesting was how after years of consideration she decided to get cosmetic surgery to address the imperfections and says that she hasn't told people though because of the stigma that cosmetic surgery carries and I think that's an important thing to point out as well is that like people will get cosmetic surgery to change how they look because of self-esteem issues or comfort issues or believing in these beauty standards but try to hide it like think about all of the celebrities who are like I've never done anything to my face I never would I've never it is clear that they did or there is somehow proof that they did because for whatever reason there's just this sense of shame it's like everyone wants you to believe like no I'm just naturally this beautiful naturally this perfect I didn't have to pay for this or it's seen as like if you get any sort of surgery then you're just self-absorbed and arrogant and vain and shallow when in reality maybe some people are but also a lot of it does come from self-esteem for example Kylie Jenner since I mentioned the Kardashians earlier I 
I think at one point, I don't know if it was in an interview or just like on her social media, she said something about how she's always been insecure about her lips. So once she reached a certain age, like, I don't know, 15, 16, I don't know how old she was when she got it, but she started getting lip fillers and it's tricky because on the one hand, hearing that that is rooted in a deep insecurity that she's always had it's like okay that makes sense that you got that because you've always been insecure about this but at the same time then it's like on that big of with that big of a platform it's almost like perpetuating well not almost it is perpetuating these unrealistic beauty standards so it's like what is like how do you reconcile with that how do you what's the balance between like addressing your own insecurities and making yourself feel comfortable in your own skin and trying not to perpetuate unrealistic or harmful beauty standards and then also how other people will respond or react to that if it makes you feel better mentally and emotionally if some people may feel that it was unnecessary because your nose was fine it improves your mental health then that because of your own self-esteem not because you feel pressured to or feel like you have to fit a certain standard and you're not doing something dangerous like bbls and who's to tell you that it's wrong you know and then they just kind of wrap up talking about how BDD is a really serious and intense condition. People with BDD are often concerned with five to seven part body parts over their lifetime. However, at any given time, it is not uncommon for them to only have one or two body parts they're concerned with. The fact that they do not obsess over every aspect of themselves does not take away the seriousness and invasiveness of their condition. BDD requires treatment and sometimes even a surgery before people can start living their lives fully. I like this article overall because it doesn't feel shameful. Like it's not, it's talking about the seriousness of body dysmorphic disorder and how it can really impact people's lives and how sometimes surgery, cosmetic surgery, can be life-changing and can change people's lives for the better people who experience BDD and it's not you know kind of painting cosmetic surgery in this terrible light of like how why so not saying like everyone go get it but it's not saying never do that it's just kind of like very objective about cosmetic surgery and it acknowledges that it's a case-by-case thing it depends on how intense someone's BDD is and things like that so moving on to the next article this article is titled five myths and five truths about body image food and weight and it was published on it was published in November 2022 by Bianca Skillbeck in the online journal called freedom from food and 
some of these myths do overlap, so I'm not going to read them all, but I just wanted to point out the ones that are a little bit different from what we have heard so far from the two Psychology Today articles. And so starting out with their third myth, which is you can choose your goal weight and stay there. They say diet culture and the companies that operate within it tell you that you can pick a goal weight and stay there. The permanent That permanent weight loss is possible, easy, and you should sign up to their product, program, or intervention to achieve it. Nonetheless, the science about how they did a study of several different weight loss interventions and how if you do exercise alone and do like these different fad diets a lot of times people don't maintain that beyond a year and even if they do there's a lot more to weight loss and weight maintenance than just what you eat and how often you work out sleep impacts that stress levels impact that and things like that um there's a very strong capitalist thread throughout all of this and that's to buy a product if you want to look a certain way if you want to achieve health or optimal body image or be sexy and desirable and whatnot you need to buy this product or participate in this program or turn to the okay myth four is attempting to control or change your body is harmless and yeah they just kind of go on to unpack that saying how there are a lot of risks associated with trying to change your body and specifically looking at dieting, diet culture, fad diets, yo-yo dieting, how it can really change your body for the worse. It says that it is well documented in scientific literature that up to 95% of people who lose weight through dieting will put the weight back on. Some estimates suggesting that roughly a third of people will put the weight back on plus a bit more and that this pits puts many people at risk for yo-yo dieting or what is known in literature as weight cycling. The issue with this is that it's a known risk factor that contributes to inflammation in the body, which begs the question, what if many of chronic diseases and illnesses get blamed on fatness are actually being caused by the inherent dieting and weight cycling that many people in larger bodies have been compelled to do or told to do? that's interesting I actually it makes a lot of sense but that's something that I hadn't heard of or thought about that last part about what if a lot of these chronic conditions that people contribute to fatness like PCOS or high blood pressure or high cholesterol or whatever what if it's actually just being fueled by these yo-yo diets this binging and restricting and things like that and I mean that makes a lot of sense they go on to say that as if the physical risks aren't enough to consider there's the mental emotional and social impacts of yo-yo dieting 
weight cycling, and the risks of developing an eating disorder. Some estimates say that 20 to 25% of people who diet will go on to develop some type of disordered eating. These statistics don't even begin to speak to the toll that all of the above have on body image, self-perception, and self-esteem. And then this is kind of an extension of that fourth myth, but the fifth and final myth in this article is that you need to lose weight to improve your health, and they essentially just say that that's not true. Healthy looks different on everyone. Being thin doesn't automatically equal being healthy, and being fat doesn't automatically equal being unhealthy. Everyone is different. Everyone's body composition is different, and even if every single person followed the same exact diet, same exact workout routine, same exact sleep schedule, somehow had the same exact low stress levels, we would all look different because we have different genetics and different body compositions. Even within the same family, I think about my sisters and I, like we all have different statures. And that doesn't mean that like some of us are unhealthy because we are maybe wider or curvier than others. It's just different. So then this article actually goes on to share truths. And the truths are essentially just kind of the opposite of the myth. So I'm actually not going to read them because we kind of got into that through unpacking the myths and then also just in the other two articles as well. I talked about a lot of these themes, so I don't want to be too redundant, but I'll just list what the truths are. So the first truth is that there are many factors that contribute to weight and health. Truth number two, there is a good chance you will need to work on internalized fat phobia. Truth number three, your doctor does not always know what is best for you. Truth number four, body grief is normal and should be normalized. And truth number five, your inner rebel might be your best ally in your body image journal journey. Um, okay, I take that back. I do want to look at specifically truth number three and truth number four because we didn't really talk about these in the other sections and I think there's some important things in here. So starting with truth number three, your doctor does not always know what's best for you. I can agree with this based on personal experiences, medical gaslighting, and medical racism as well, and I think that does factor into this conversation in many ways, but obviously that's not to say that all doctors suck. We all know that that's not the case, and I don't, I feel like I don't need to give that whole not all doctors disclaimer, because we're all human and everyone has their own biases and prejudices and no matter what oath you sign or how many years of schooling you go to those biases and prejudices will find their way into your daily thought processes and decision making whether you realize it or not or whether you try for that or not and I I think this is really important when talking about medical treatment because those biases and prejudices that doctors and other medical professionals may hold can definitely influence how you receive care. For example, I 
used to have really irregular periods like there was one year where I only had three periods that year and that's obviously not normal that's not healthy for uh, so I had really irregular periods and then I had other symptoms that were kind of making it look like I might have had PCOS and so I went to the gynecologist because I wanted to figure this out and potentially like get treatment if that's you know something that I I remember when I first went to the gyno and I explained my symptoms he acknowledged that like yeah it's probably not good that you've only had three periods this year and just the way they have presented themselves is really irregular but then when it came time to actually getting to the root cause when PCOS came into the conversation he literally said he was like you have these symptoms but it's probably not PCOS because you don't look like the typical PCOS patient and I was like well what does that mean and he said well you're not fat and <laughs> that is just so ridiculous because of course your weight whether you are underweight or overweight by medical standards which those standards are also just like problematic in and of itself and but that's a whole other conversation but whether you are overweight or underweight by medical standards yes that does affect your health but it's not as simple it's not as black and white as saying like if you are overweight then you have these issues and if you're not overweight then you can't have these issues and if you're underweight then you're going to have these issues and yeah it's just like it's not that simple and so for this doctor to say yes you have symptoms of PCOS and these symptoms are not good and a little bit concerning but you're not fat so we're not going to do anything about it like that's essentially what he said like he didn't want to do any sort of ultrasound or anything like that any further looking into it he basically was just like you're not fat so just take birth control and I'm like excuse me I'm half like birth control is not the answer for everything and I had also already before that spoken about how I have had like pretty intense side effects from hormonal birth control in the past which is why I wasn't taking it at the time and so it was just like this complete lack of care or like listening like I just could tell I wasn't being taken seriously because this doctor was coming into this with a preconceived notion of like you don't look this way therefore you can't be experiencing x y and z and if I were fat he would probably be like you probably do have PCOS because of your size or oh if you just lose weight then you wouldn't have these symptoms just because someone has a degree they don't necessarily have your best interests in mind and <laughs> since you got your degree and you think you know every fucking thing 
I'm sorry, I had to say it. It like it came to my mind as I was saying that sentence right before then. But seriously, just because someone has a degree and has went through all those years of schooling, which is a feat, like not denying that, but that doesn't mean that they know anything and everything because ultimately at the end of the day you know your body best because you're the one that's living in it and experiencing it and feeling all of the things that are happening to it and then the fourth truth body grief is normal and should be normalized um i did want to talk about that one a little bit just because body grief is actually something that I hadn't really heard of, or at least this specific term. I think the concept I've heard a little bit about, but yeah, let's get into that. We spent so long fighting our bodies. Maybe we've been fighting our weight or some other aspect of our appearance. Maybe it's chronic illness, injury, or disability, or the inevitable process of aging that we will all succumb to if we are so lucky. Many times when a person enters therapy for anything related to body image issues, they remark on how they have tried everything to fix this. What frequently becomes clear through a process of reflection, however, is that they've tried everything except moving through the full stage of the cycle of grief, all the way to acceptance. It may sound like a strange way to think of our relationship with body image in the context of the grief cycle, yet when we look at the cycle, it makes complete sense. And so then they go to show an image of the cycle of grief, which is denial, aka trying to avoid the inevitable, anger, aka frustrated outpouring of bottle of emotion, bargaining, aka seeking in vain for a way out, depression, aka final realization of the inevitable, and acceptance, aka finally finding the way forward. And so they just talk about how it's very possible to go through all of this with your body. They give some examples and say, we live in denial of the things which we may not be able to change. We feel angry. We might even take out that anger on ourselves. We bargain, just another diet, another product, another intervention of some kind. We find ourselves sad, depressed even, when the most recent of these attempts fail and ultimately we find ourselves with no other choice but to find some acceptance unless we want to spend our lives fighting it's important to understand that body grief is normal if we are to find self-acceptance what we are most often grieving is what we have been conditioned by diet or even wellness culture to believe we should be. We are letting go of those unrealistic and harmful beauty and body standards that have hurt us for so long. And I really want to talk about that one because like I said, I don't think grief and the cycle of grief is something that is always like closely associated with body image and body dysmorphia and diet culture and things like that. I think a lot of times in popular media it's kind of talked about as like a morality thing of like a good or bad a right or wrong like the emotional and mental piece is kind of removed from the conversation so i'd really like that this article pointed that out and then gave some specific examples of what that could look like and then ultimately just saying that it's normal so many people experience this and while yes it is unfortunate and painful to experience body dysmorphia and bad body image and other things of the sort it is normal so 
don't feel guilty for feeling those things because ultimately that's not helping you that's just adding on to the pile of guilt and shame and it just makes it less likely that you will be able to address whatever challenges you're facing and get the help and support that you need okay so i did want to talk a little bit about rape culture and sexual assault and just how we have normalized sexual violence and how that impacts body image because again it's not something that i think is often brought into the conversation about body image but i definitely think it has some overlap so this is actually someone's thesis and um it is from actually don't know what year it's from it doesn't say oh 2017 and it's titled influence of media on self-objectification body image and rape myths acceptance among college students so i just want to focus on the rape myths piece because i think that's something that is missing from this conversation that should be brought into it this section of this thesis is titled Rape Myths, and it starts out saying violence against women is a widespread pandemic and affecting women's mental, sexual, and reproductive health, according to the World Health Organization in 2013. One in three women worldwide have been victim to intimate partner violence and or non-partner sexual violence, and nearly one in five U.S. women is the victim of a completed or attempted rape. In the United States, of the women that have been victims of rape during their lifetime, 32.3% are multiracial, 27.5% are American Indian slash Alaska Native, 21.2% are non-Hispanic Black, 20.5% are non-Hispanic White, and 13.6% are Hispanic. Additionally, approximately 46% of women report being raped by an acquaintance, Bisexual women have a significantly higher lifetime prevalence of sexual violence at 46.1% than heterosexual, 17.4%, and lesbian, 13.1% women. Furthermore, most bisexual, 98.3%, and heterosexual, 99.1% women reported having only male perpetrators. Sex of perpetrator estimates were not reported for lesbian women. That was a lot of stats, so I can, I'm gonna like kind of relist those percentages as I get into it. But it's kind of, it's not shocking, sadly, that these stats are so high, but it is kind of just like wow, you know, to see it written out and be looking directly at how high these statistics are. Especially when you look at how it's broken down by race or ethnicity in media a lot of the stories that get coverage and that get that public outrage and outpour of support are that of white women we often overlook people of practically every other race or ethnicity and that allows that to keep happening because it's going unaddressed it's going un punished and it's kind of sending that subliminal message that like it's okay to be violent towards women of color to just kind of tie that back to the conversation about body image 
it makes complete sense when you think about how a lot of people who have been sexually assaulted or have been raped or been victims of other types of sexual violence a lot of times internalize that and may begin to think of themselves as dirty or unlovable or maybe think that their body failed them or their body could just be a reminder of the violence that they endured and therefore they may feel like there's something wrong with it or they need to fix it or kind of just like dissociate or just detach themselves from their body in a way where they are not taking care of themselves in the sense of like making sure that they're nourished and sleeping and things like that okay lastly to kind of wrap up this conversation i did want to talk about body image when it comes to men and boys and male identifying people just because that was really kind of absent in this conversation I am not a man I'm not a boy and I don't identify as male so like my personal experience is not really going to come out here and I can't really speak too much on this as far as like my own personal beliefs and well I can I do have personal beliefs on this that I can share but I can't speak from personal experience, I should say. Um, So this last article is published in The Conversation, and it's from March 2022, entitled, Body Image Issues Affect Close to 40% of Men, But Many Don't Get the Support They Need. So it starts out saying, lead guitarist of the Vamps, James Britton McVeigh, recently spoke out about the pressures he experienced with his body image. These pressures, which began when he was a teenager, led him to undergo liposuction at age 20. Speaking to a parliamentary committee on body image and mental health, he told MPs that he had struggled with anorexia since he was a teenager and that he still feels the pressure to look a certain way. Britton McVeigh is not alone in his struggles with body image. It's estimated that between 30 and 40% of men are anxious about their weight and up to 85% are dissatisfied with their muscularity. Many men desire lean and muscular physique, which is often seen as synonymous with masculinity. But without proper support, body image issues can have a major impact on both physical and mental health. Yet many men are hesitant to speak about their body image issues, largely because of the stigma attached to it. So I think this article is very interesting and very eye-opening. I obviously knew that men and boys and male-identifying people can experience body image struggles and poor mental health. I mean, that goes without saying, but just, again, seeing how high these stats are is really eye-opening. I didn't think they were going to be super low, but... I don't know I just wasn't thinking 30 to 40 percent of men are anxious about their weight and up to 85 percent are dissatisfied with their muscularity that also just shows how one-sided the conversation is it's often focused on women and girls and femmes and yes there are a lot of pressures coming from all different directions and a lot of things being pushed onto us but that also happens to men and I don't think one is necessarily worse than the other. I think it's just very different. I think when it comes to body image in men, it's often not seen as a problem for a couple of reasons. One, because patriarchy, right? 
a lot of issues that men face are often overlooked because it's like, well, you created the patriarchy, you created the issues, you hold these standards amongst yourself and your peers. And sure, yes, that can be true to some extent. But I think it also holds men back from being able to address their own challenges and ultimately challenge the patriarchy because if you aren't given the space to reflect and heal and recover then how are you going to challenge the systems that put you in that fragile emotional state to begin with i think body image when it comes to men is also not taken seriously because gaining muscle and being lean is seen as a good thing so when people are hyper fixated on wanting to be more muscular it's not necessarily looked at in the same way as like if you want to lose a bunch of weight like if i went to a friend or someone else and said i really need to lose 50 pounds they'd probably be like what the hell like no you're fine you don't need to but if i said i really want to gain some muscle and tone up my muscles like people just wouldn't have the same reaction they wouldn't be like oh my god no like your body's fine you don't need to change it you know it'd be like oh cool like go do it go for it you know and i think that is really a big thing to think about when you talk about men and body image is how like the things that men generally speaking are more focused on like being more lean and having a more muscular physique it's often seen as like a good thing it's like you should want to be like that you should want to have more muscles you should want to be big and strong because that makes you more of a man and it really does a disservice to everyone honestly it obviously does a direct disservice to the men who are experiencing that but then also ultimately if you are kind of thinking back about the patriarchy and beauty standards and how men are maybe complacent or upholding it it's also because they're a victim to it so creating space for men and boys to reflect and emote and address their mental and emotional health and their relationships with food and their body it really does just help everyone okay and just to close out today's episode with something a little bit less intense i wanted to do a little kind of a pop culture moment i guess so i'm sure you all have heard by now the whole roman empire trend which if you haven't basically is just typically it's a wife or girlfriend who goes up to their boyfriend husband and asks them how often they think about the roman empire and for some reason the answer is always way more frequently than you would think and i will say i have noticed that it is way more frequent among white men straight white men but like why are you thinking about the roman empire so much why is this a common thing among men who knows couldn't tell you but i think it is 
funny to kind of just reflect on like our own versions of the Roman Empire. I actually heard this on a podcast that I listened to, one of my favorite podcasts, the Thai French podcast, and he was saying how he doesn't think about the actual Roman Empire often, but his version of it. So like something that he thinks about regularly for really no rhyme or reason and sharing that. So I just thought that would be funny to kind of talk a bit about my (laughs) Roman Empire. I have a few, but my first one I would say is aliens. I think about aliens every single day. I'm not kidding. Several times a day. I think about how I want to meet one. I want to see one. I want to talk to one somehow, befriend it. I have a whole strategy, you know, if aliens come to earth, what I'm going to do is invite them over for a dinner party and really build a bond with them so that if shit goes down and they want to attack, they're going to spare me because I'm going to be on their good side. And I just, I know for a fact aliens are real. I mean, I don't have actual evidence, but they're real. There's just no way they're not. And I think they're really cool. And I think about them all the time, several times a day. If someone were to say, how often do you think about aliens? I'd probably be like, "Mm, once every hour or so. (laughs) My second Roman Empire is businesses. Specifically, how many businesses are there in the world? That's also something I think about almost every day. Not as frequent as the aliens, but I do think a lot about just how many. Like, I just want to know. I want to know how many different brand names there are, how many different types of businesses I need to know for no reason other than I just want to know what the number is. I'm not going to do anything with this information, but I just... I need someone to go count up how many businesses there are and let me know. My last Roman Empire (laughs) that I'm going to share, I I have so many more, but I need to narrow it to three or else I will keep talking for forever and this episode's already quite long. But my last one is pregnancy slash babies slash childbirth slash motherhood. And I am fascinated by it and I cannot wait to be pregnant. You could ask any of my friends and family. I talk about having babies every day. I wish I was pregnant right now. It is my dream. I want to give birth so badly. I want to have a little baby in my arms. I want to, like, I just love everything about it. I think it's so fascinating the way the body changes and how you just create a whole human being inside of you and then you birth it like what the heck it's so cool and I this is how unhinged I am with it I legitimately like when I'm bloated I just look in the mirror and I'm like one day this will be a little baby bump or is this what I would look like when I'm pregnant (laughs) and it's so so delusional and maybe a little bit scary And maybe if you're a friend or family member listening to this, you're probably like, what's wrong with her? I'm concerned. But seriously, I think about it every day. I just think about like, I can't wait to feel a little baby kicking in my stomach. I'm so excited for that stage of life. (laughs) And seriously, if it were up to me, I'd already have a couple kids and I would be pregnant currently as we speak. And it's not even just, I mean, babies, I love babies, but even just parenting beyond that, Um, The other day, I heard this podcast that was reading Reddit stories. The story was this mom was saying how her son went hungry and asking if she was the asshole because he wasn't bringing lunch to school or something like that, and she wouldn't increase his allowance to let him buy lunch. 
and then people in the comments were like a part of parenting is like helping your kids through all stages of life even though your kids like 15 16 whatever there's still things that they're learning like they're not able to be on their own and I was thinking even about that I'm like I can't wait to have a middle schooler and teach them about budgeting <laughs> and like how to be self-sufficient and stuff like that and just prepare them for the world I want to be a parent I want all of that and like I would love having a little 12 year old and I don't know sit down and do their math homework with them or redecorate their room as well seriously I think about being a parent so often that I could actually do just a whole podcast episode on that alone because I'm obsessed with it so <laughs> what's your Roman Empire moment let me know on the Instagram post that's going to come out this week also share any thoughts or feelings that you have about the main portion of this episode and again please like and rate the podcast share it with friends and family and keep your eyes open for when we get on apple podcasts hopefully in the next few days thank you for listening and stay well Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Mondays with Mai. I truly hope you got what you needed from this episode and that you'll be coming back for more. Before you go, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and check out the show notes for any resources or info. Keep taking care of you and talk to you soon.